It's amazing to serve an awesome and mighty God, to see his hand continually at work in our lives, in the world around us, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it seems like something is not right. There is a God who is on his throne. He is holy, he is mighty, and he still delivers. As you're turning in your Bible to the book of 1 John, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5 this morning. I want you to reflect on the world around you. Now, not to go into despair before Thanksgiving, but think about people you know. So you're going to be getting together with family this week, some of you. Some of you are going to be avoiding family this week. But you get together with family, and what always happens, it never fails, when you're together with family, especially around holidays, is you start to tell stories. And I'm not talking about, you know, fibs or those kind of stories that you might have told your mom about how her favorite uh, vase got broken. I'm talking about stories about uncles and aunts and grandparents that, have, that are no longer with us. You start telling stories about how, it, how things happened when you were a teenager. You start telling to your children or get together with cousins. And you remember when Aunt Lucy did this or when Uncle Jimmy did that. And, and you start telling these stories and, 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 and everybody just laughs, right? Well, everybody except for the person who's the stories about, then they get mad. Because you're telling that story again about them that they're trying to live down. The fact is, we are a storytelling people. We like to tell stories. We like to engage and learn about one another through narrative, through story. And you know what? That's how God made us. The stories do something. Stories on the, on the very surface communicate facts and events. But stories also build relationships. You ever read a really good book? I, I'm talking about a really good book, a, a, good, a good novel. And, and you're in the book and you're sitting there and you're reading it and you're enjoying it. And by the time you get to the end, you feel like you personally know the main character. The story has helped you build a relationship. Now, we live in, in, in the Netflix era where you can go and you can binge watch, you know, seven seasons of your favorite sitcom. And what always happens when you're watching your favorite TV show is you build a relationship with the people on the screen in their character because of the story that is playing out in front of you. That's one of the beautiful things about stories. We tell stories to build relationships with others. We read stories and, and, and engage relationship with those that are in the story. We even watch stories and we feel a relationship there. You know, your favorite show goes off the TV and you think, oh, it doesn't happen with television shows. I'm going to prove it to you it does. Your favorite show goes off the TV. It's done. Season, series finale. Never going to air it again. And you're sad. Oh no. But what happened with this character? What happened there? We want the relationship. Our story of salvation functions the same way. 
We have a story to tell that God has given us about who we are in Christ Jesus and how our faith came about in order that we might be able to communicate to others the relationship that we have. And look at what John says in 1 John chapter 5. If you have your place, I do want to invite you to stand with me as we read the Word of God together if you are able. Uh, if you are not, that is perfectly fine to remain seated, but we'll be in verse 5. Reading down through, excuse me, verse 6, reading down through verse 12. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is even greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony himself. The one who does not believe God has made God a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son whoever has the son has life he who does not have the son of God does not have life let's pray together Lord we love you and we thank you that you have given us eternal hope and eternal peace Lord, Lord God we thank you that you gave us your son Jesus that we could have life eternal life, life everlasting, life with you for all time. All the failures of this world, all the brokenness and pain that this life that we presently live in on this earth today, all that it brings will be made right and made new because we have something eternal, something beautiful because of you. Lord, I pray this morning that as we look at your word, Lord, that we're encouraged by the salvation story you have written into our hearts. And Lord, that maybe there's someone this morning that does not have a story of how you saved them, that today would be the day that they say, I want that to be my story. So Lord, lead us, teach us, give us your word. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I love a good story. I love a good story that shows how someone has grown or changed. I love a good story that shows the the outside work that that just kind of goes in and and takes shape. One of my favorite story shows to watch, and believe it or not, this is actually a story, are, are, uh, they don't come on anymore, but it was called Homes on Homes. Mike Holmes, he was a Canadian guy, he always, this dude was crazy tough, right? He was a home builder, he was a contractor. But like he'd be out there with some cover uh, Carhartt overalls and no shirt, and it's like 30 degrees outside. And, and you know, he's like, yeah, we're going to build this house right. And his whole method was he would go into a house that somebody had done some pretty bad renovation work on, and he would look at it and explain to them why it was done wrong and all the problems it was causing. And he would come in in a short timeline, and he would make everything not just right, but engineered to like military grade in their house that nothing's going to destroy whatever he puts into the house. And I always loved the final product. He was like, well, this isn't really a story. Oh, yeah, it's a story of how this man's transforming houses. 
But we have a story of how God transforms lives and our salvation story starts with Jesus Christ on this earth. Our salvation story starts with when Christ Jesus came here. It says this in verse six, it says, this is the one who came by water and blood. Well, which one? Who are we talking about? Last week, as we were looking at, at chapter five, verses one to five, we talked about overcoming and how we can overcome the brokenness and, and the system of the world and the way that the world around us operates. And we ended, ended with whoever is the one, excuse me, who is the one who overcomes the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. And John follows that with this very strong statement that this is the one who came by water and blood. He's pointing back to Christ Jesus. And our story of how we came to faith in Christ does not start with that day that we were sitting on a pew or the day that we were kneeling by our bed, the day that we heard the gospel. It started with the fact that Christ Jesus came to this earth in the flesh. You don't get a salvation story without that. And notice what John says here in this passage of scripture. He says, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with water only, but with the water and with the blood. Now he's not trying to be morbid or graphic or, you know, like gross you out before lunch or anything. What John is describing here is how Christ Jesus physically existed on this earth to show us the beauty of the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to start there with what he says there in the very first part. He says, he came by the water. He is speaking of the baptism of Jesus Christ. He was speaking of when Christ Jesus himself went down to the Jordan River, found John the baptizer, baptizing there in the river, said, you must baptize me as well. John said, I am not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus' response to him in John chapter 1 is, this is the way it is, has to be. So he goes in and he's baptized. The baptism of Jesus, his baptism shows that his work on earth was to bring us to God. The work that Christ Jesus did on this earth when he was here in the flesh, when he was walking, was done to show us that the kingdom of God is about how God ushers his kingdom to us to bring us to him. Not the other way around. We don't run to God. We don't go and uh, apply for asylum into the kingdom of God. We don't go and knock on the, on the gates of the kingdom of God and say, hey, can I come in? Or you got a cup of sugar I can borrow so I can slip in the door here? No, no. It is that God himself sent his own son, Christ Jesus, King Jesus, the Lord, to live in this earth with us. It says there in this passage of scripture, it says that he came by water. You remember that day? Matthew chapter 3 describes it very well for us. Matthew chapter 3, it says that Jesus went and he was, as he was baptized, it says that he went into the water and he was baptized. And when he came up, there was something that descended upon him that was the appearance of a dove. And, and there on this moment was a voice. The heavens were opened up and a voice says that this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We call this the beginning of the earthly ministry of Christ Jesus. Jesus was probably about 30 years old. We believe he was somewhere around the age of 30 when this happened. He's like, well, what was he doing the first 30 years of his life? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. 
We, we, have, we have the birth narrative. Luke gives us a scene in Luke chapter 2, at the very end of chapter 2, of Jesus as a 12-year-old. And then there's nothing else until we get to Jesus as a 30-year-old starting his earthly ministry. You're like, well, that's 18 years of his life that we don't know anything about. Well, what was he doing? Was he not saving people? Was he not healing people? No, he wasn't. <laughs> Plain and simple, he wasn't. You're like, well, well why not? You remember in John chapter 2 when Jesus was at a wedding? He's at this wedding. It's in the land of Cana. And uh, his mom comes to him and says, um, Jesus, we've got this big wedding feast, this wedding party. And we're out of wine. And Jesus looks at her and says, okay, it's not my party. What does the lack of wine have to do with me? See, see in Jesus' day, when you had a wedding, uh, the, the groom's family would throw a week-long feast. Or if you were really wealthy, it would be a two-week-long two feast. And then the wine would just flow. And the more you had, the more it demonstrated what you have because you're celebrating. And, 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 and they're out. You want to talk about a big cultural embarrassment to run out of wine at the wedding feast. You didn't plan properly. You don't have the means to provide for all your guests. So everybody's coming over to your house this Thursday for Thanksgiving. And you're all ready. Everybody is coming. You've already invited the grandmas. You've invited the aunts, the uncles. You're going to have, you're going to have like 200 people at your house, right? And you're ready for it, man. You're like, up. Oh, we've got tables out there on the chair. We rented a tent. We're going to have it out there on the yard. We're going to have the biggest, best Thanksgiving ever. And you're like, yes, here we go. And all of a sudden you realize as everybody's starting to fix their plate that you only fixed one turkey. And Bojangles is closed. Walmart's even closed. Your best option is that pack of hot dogs you got in the freezer. And there are only eight of them. That's embarrassing, isn't it? You invited all these people over and you ran out. And Jesus looks at his mom and says, it's not my problem. That's just rude, Jesus. Honor your mama. She's giving you a real problem that you can fix. Honor your mama. Notice what Jesus says to his mother at this point. This is not my problem because my time to be revealed as the Messiah has not yet come. And he speaks directly to his mama because she should have known for the first 30 years of his life the time was not yet. But Jesus is baptized there in the Jordan to demonstrate that he, the one who was born, is the one who God would use to save the world. Some would argue wrongly and falsely, and if, I want, listen carefully here, because if you hear this, I want you to know that you're listening to a false teacher. You're listening to someone that is spreading lies about Christ that are not true. Someone will probably try to tell you, and you will hear this on TV, you will hear this from TV preachers, that Jesus was a man just like you and me, was not born of God, but at his baptism, he was adopted into the family of God, and the spirit that descended upon him gave him the only power he would have for those three years. No. False. This was a demonstration that God said, you ready for this? You want it? You've been crying out, Israel, for 400 years for me to deliver you. Here is the deliverer. I have come into your world that you could know that my kingdom is about getting you to me. 
His baptism demonstrates that the work he was going to be doing on this earth was to get us to God. You do not have a salvation story without a living, breathing, walking Christ Jesus who is there to take you to the throne every time. But he goes on. He doesn't just stop with the baptism, does he? He says he came with water and he also came with blood. The blood is the cross. The cross that demonstrates your eternal hope. The cross that seals your eternal hope. The blood that was shed to wash away our sins. See, see we've got baptism and resurrection. We've got baptism and death all pictured together here. And I want you to not miss this at all because this is what baptism in our lives does now. We are not baptized into water to set us apart. We are baptized in water because the blood has washed We are baptized in water because we are identifying with this Savior who takes us to the throne. We're baptized in water as a symbol of what the Holy Spirit has done when the cross sealed your eternal hope and my eternal hope for all time. He shed his blood, all of it, every last bit. He was ripped, he was beaten, he was crushed, he was bruised, he was afflicted. For you and for me. And you're like, man, that's, that's brutal. Yeah, it absolutely is. So that we could have hope. Hope that this kingdom of God was actually doing what God said he would do. He was actually saving. He was actually redeeming. He was actually bringing the kingdom to us. See, these same false teachers that would tell you that Jesus was adopted that day will also tell you that before the the death happened, that the power of God left Jesus and that he was just a man left to die that had nothing to do with who God was, that the Christ came and left before the, at the baptism and before the death. But I'm here to tell you that God himself in the form of Christ Jesus bled and died for us that we could have hope that we could have hope. See, your story of salvation and my story of salvation is a story of a Savior who hopefully saves, a Savior who definitely redeems, a Savior who gives us everything in his own body. Your salvation story is also affirmed by the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Notice how John shifts here starting in verse 6. Excuse me, at the end of verse six, he said, it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. Now, I want you to, I want you to capture that with me just for just a second. I want, you to, I want you to just kind of dwell in this verse with me for just a few minutes. Because John is describing something beautiful about the Trinity of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together working in your heart and my heart as we understand what our faith is all about. The Holy Spirit of God gives us this this beautiful picture of our need. This desperation appeal to to our brokenness and the wonderful hope that God gives. And we have a a story to tell of how God saved us that the Holy Spirit comes alongside and says, yes, I'm giving testimony to that. 
I'm giving testimony to the work of the gospel in his life. I'm giving testimony to the work of the gospel in her life. I am showing that this is real and this is genuine. You ever listen to those people and the more they talk, the less you're convinced that they know what they're talking about? You know those people, we call them teenagers. The, the more they just try to explain themselves, you're just thinking, I, I don't really know you really thought this through before you started giving me words, right? Th those people that they, they just try, and, and it seems, it gets to the point where it seems that they're trying to talk you into something when really they're just trying to explain what they did because it's not adding up. It's kind of like when Ben Matlock would put somebody on the witness stand at the end of the old Matlock show back in the 80s. Just let him talk for a minute. He's going to get the confession out of them. Just let them talk. They don't know what they're talking about. It's not that way with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit gives us a sure testimony that points to the work of the cross in our lives each and every step along the way. Even when you step in the wrong place, even when you have walked away from what you claim to have believed, whether it was for a, a, a week, a little bit of time, a few years, the old, the old preachers would call it being a backslidden Christian, right? What's a backslidden Christian? Somebody that's claiming the cross, but living like Satan, Somebody that's claiming the glory of Christ, but living the way everything in the world says to live. One that's identified more by the society and cultural standard around them than by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the beautiful thing about that. If that's you, the Holy Spirit will speak into your heart and say, no, no, you actually are saved. But this is how we go back to demonstrate that. He's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to leave. If you're comfortable living a life that looks like the world and not like the gospel, if you're comfortable in sexual immorality, if you're comfortable in drunkenness, if you're comfortable in gossiping and debauchery, and, and, and I shouldn't bring up gluttony on Thanksgiving week, but gluttony. If you're comfortable with that pattern of life of lying and cheating and stealing, if you're comfortable with that, then you've got a serious issue that you've got to ask yourselves about the gospel because the Holy Spirit, if that's you, will not leave you alone and you will not be comfortable. If you are comfortable, you don't have a salvation story to start with. If you are comfortable, that is how you can walk and live and parade yourself every single day of the year with no regard, then the Holy Spirit's not giving any testimony because there's not a Holy Spirit in your life to give testimony. But today he is speaking and saying, you know what? You need this gospel. You need this salvation story. So let's get rescued. That's the testimony of truth. See, the Holy Spirit gives you this testimony because the Holy Spirit conveys truth he, he conveys truth each and every and the truth is you're either in Christ or out of Christ the, the truth is you are either you are either walking with him or you're not I know there are categories of not walking with him there's the I know Christ I've been saved I've been baptized but I'm not living that way not walking with him and that's where the Holy Spirit's going to continue to show you the truth of who you're supposed to be and you're going to be wrestling and uncomfortable. There was a girl in my freshman year, um, 
freshman year seminar at Mercer. I can't remember what they called the class. Everybody had to take it. It was brainwashing 101 is basically what it was. But um, I remember sitting in class with her and um, she was talking in, in class with, with Professor Gafford about, about how she quit going to church because every time she went to church, she felt like the, the pastor, when he would preach, was, was judging her and, and was making her uncomfortable about her life choices and that she just couldn't stand putting herself in that situation week in and week out because she wanted to live her life her way and didn't think that, that a, a God or a Bible or a preacher should be able to speak to that. Does that sound familiar? That's what happens when we have the testimony of truth working in our life, but we want to work against it because we're trying to acclimate and comfort ourselves to the world around us. I was not friends with this girl before this conversation, and I definitely wasn't friends with her after the conversation. But I looked at her and said, could that not be that you've got sin in your life and the Holy Spirit's trying to rescue you from that? I was removed from the class, but that's another story. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. And if you are walking with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes along and says, yes, you are in Christ. Yes, you are the son and you are the daughter of God. You are walking, you are a child. You have this deliverance, you have this power because the Holy Spirit will convey what is true. But not only will he convey what is true, the Holy Spirit will also speak in unity. Notice he goes on and says, it's the Holy Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Notice with me what the Holy Spirit's doing as he speaks in unity. He's pointing you to the work of Christ in this world. He's working, pointing you to the work of Christ on the cross. And he's pointing you to the work of Christ in your own heart. And there has to be unity there. There, there has to be unity. If, if, you, have, if you have King James Version, uh, there's, there's an addendum there at the end of verse 7 that says, um, In the heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one, and there are three that testify on earth, spirit, uh, water, and blood. Um, and, and, and ultimately, um, let me find the right way to praise, put this. Ultimately, what we find is those were, were, were extra words added by a scribe at a later date that don't necessarily convey something that is wrong, but that's not what, what was in the earliest of the manuscripts. It's like, well, Evan, why are you bring that up? Because I don't want you to think I'm skipping over something that's in the passage. Because the Holy Spirit does speak in unity with the Father and with the Son. The Holy Spirit of God is not going to give you anything different than what God has already said in his word and what Christ Jesus has already accomplished. And, and you need to hear that because in our individualized society, you would not believe the number of times that you will hear someone who claims to be a follower of Christ tell you they believe that the Holy Spirit or God is leading them to do something that you clearly know is wrong that the Bible has clearly shown is wrong. Not, not just, not wrong as in um, 
man, I went to Lowe's and bought green paint and they gave me purple instead wrong. I'm talking about like, that didn't happen, but you know, if you, I went and bought green paint and they gave me the wrong shade of green or they gave me the wrong color. That, that, not that wrong, I'm talking about morally wrong. God's not telling you to live with your boyfriend. God's not telling you to get a divorce from, uh, from your wife or someone else. God's not telling you to go to the scratch-offs. He's not. And, and if you believe that the word of God, the, the, the spirit of God is leading in that direction, then you're not listening to the testimony of the spirit because the Holy Spirit testifies truth and it testifies in unity with who God is and what God has said and what God has revealed in his everlasting word. And so he brings it back and says, you will know truth because the Holy Spirit is leading you in truth. And he says it testifies in the water and with the blood. In other words, the Holy Spirit's not going to tell you anything that Christ Jesus has not already shown you. Period. The Holy Spirit is going to show you what the kingdom of God is, not by telling, promising you a new bends, but by promising you a new position before the throne of God by the blood of Christ Jesus. Period. That's truth. And he says it's in, in unity with all that God has revealed from the beginning of time. Your salvation story is affirmed by the Holy Spirit because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your salvation story is affirmed by the testimony of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, according to Christ Jesus in John chapter 17, speaks as the Father and the Son have shown him how to. Not that the Holy Spirit is less than, but the Holy Spirit is not other than. He's going to give you all that God has done. And ultimately what we find about your salvation story and my salvation story is that my salvation story is a testimony of life. The Holy Spirit testifies about life. True life. Everlasting life. The life that God gives us is if we receive this testimony, if we receive the testimony of man, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. Everything God has shown, he has shown in his son. Everything the Holy Spirit testifies is testified by both God and by Christ Jesus, the son, because he wants us to know what life is truly about. Now, we, we, we could boil life down to, to biology, right? You've got, you know, whether it's a, a chicken or a person or a, or, or a tree, there's life that grows within cells, right? Biology will show us how you've got the mitochondria and the cytoplasm and some have the cell membrane. If you're a plant, you've got the cell wall and you've got all these things. And we talk about how, how there's these, all these little things that are going on inside the cells and that's life. And we could talk about how you have uh, microorganisms and you have complex organisms and you have all these things about life. Mm -mm. We're not talking about biology. We're talking about life everlasting. We're talking about the only life that is guaranteed to escape death. See, your salvation story is not just a, a, not just a get out of jail free card. Your salvation story is a story of how God gave you life when you had none. 
When you were a zombie, when you were a physical being walking around, breathing, but did not have spiritual life, did not have the ability to see who God was, what God had done, how God was going to deliver, how God was going to provide, how God was going to save, how God was going to extend his mercy even to you. He did it anyway. He reached into your darkness. He reached into your hopelessness. He reached into your life and said, I have a story for you. And it's the story of my son changing you. You remember I was talking about Mike Holmes a little while ago, Holmes on Holmes. I'm telling you, man, go, go, man, it's probably on YouTube. You can go find it on YouTube, Holmes on Holmes. Man, he would go in there and he would find guys, folks that would try to do it yourself. And they would come in and it'd just be the worst looking work. Like, why would you even invite somebody over to see your work? You couldn't have been proud of this. Or, or even worse, when he'd go to one that somebody did the renovation like 30 years ago and you're in Canada, so you've got like uh, 35 feet of snow every two weeks up there and so it's always wet and damp and moldy. You go in and it's, it's just a disaster. And, and, and most of us would say, we should just bulldoze the house. Let's just flick a match on it and claim some insurance money. Hey, let's just sell it. Let's just paint over that and sell it, you know, and then we'll be okay, Right? He said, no, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to come in and I'm going to build it. I'm going to do it right now so that it doesn't have to be redone ever because once I have finished, it will be complete. That is what Christ Jesus has done through the gospel in us. That's what life is about. That's what him giving us life entails, that he comes into the disaster that we call our lives, our existences. And he says, I'm going to reach in. And others might have given up and others might throw the towel in on you. Others might try to flick the match at you. But I am going to come in and I'm going to build you the right way by the power of my spirit. And he says this, he says, the testimony that God, God has given is this. It is the testimony of eternal life. God is the giver of life. Man, what a beautiful statement. What a beautiful statement that God himself would give us life. He didn't have to. Could you imagine putting up with yourself for eternity? You know you. Could you imagine? Could you imagine putting up with your husband or your wife for eternity? With your kids? With me? Say, God loved you enough that he would give you that kind of life. That for all time, for eternal, eternal life, never ending, never failing, always going on into continuum to infinity and beyond life at his throne in front of him. Not just to get out of jail free card. Not just, oh, I'll, just, I'll forgive you. You'll be okay. And we'll let bygones by bygones. No, no. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to pull you in to what I have to offer for all time. I'm going to pull you into the glories of heaven. I'm going to pull you into the beauty of my domain, my realm. Because I love you and I am giving you eternal life. But there's only one way. This life is only found in Jesus Christ. Life is only found in Jesus Christ. Notice he says here, 
He who has the Son has this life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have everlasting life, does not have eternal life, does not have eternal hope, does not have a position before the throne of God for eternity to praise Him and to enjoy Him forever. And you think, well, Evan, why why is that such a big deal to, to bring it back to Jesus? Because what he said at the very beginning, the one that we're talking about is the one who came in water and blood. He came, was born of a virgin, was at 30 years old, baptized by, by John in the river. Not to say, look, John's a great baptizer, but to say, this is what the kingdom of God is doing in this world. And I'm going to seal it with my own blood. To give you hope. See, if you don't have this Jesus, this Jesus who came and bled and bled and died for you, you do not have life, you do not hope. And today is the day where you can say, you know what, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of running it my own way. I'm tired of trying to do it for myself. God's given me something greater than I could ever provide for myself. I want that. We'll come and get it.